All right, if you if you guys want to continue a conversation, maybe go out to lunch, share a cup of coffee, uh, do something like that. No, um, it's just really good to see you all here this morning. We have a lot to celebrate. God is certainly good to us, and today we want to lift up the name of our risen Savior, Jesus Christ. I need to warn you of two things this morning. Uh, The first thing is I am really excited to teach this passage of Scripture. So that's going to go one of two ways. Either you're going to be like, calm down, um, or it's just, in my excitement, it's going to go on for a very long time. But we don't have Sunday school today, so hey, we're in it for the long haul. Uh, The second thing, and this is the most important thing of those two things, This message, which is God's word to us, just might change your life. I mean it. To know the truths that Paul is teaching here is to be set free. For those that know Jesus personally this morning, this passage strengthens our faith in knowing that we who are loved by God feel or have this great result of being set free by God, maybe this passage will encourage you in your faith and strengthen you in your walk with God. It will keep you from following self-righteousness. That, that tendency we all have to think that our standing before God is what He has done plus what we do. And for those of us today that are here, and maybe you're not sure who Jesus is. I mean, you know him as God's son in in the sense of what the word of God says. But I'm saying like, know in your heart. And you're here this morning and you're thinking, okay, God, you've led me to this place. I want to know more about you. I pray you will see the gracious love of God that is revealed through the gift of His Son. Our text this morning is not a usual resurrection passage. It's not either of the passages in Matthew or Luke that we read earlier. But what we're going to look at this morning builds upon the resurrection. In fact, it's the doctrinal reality of the resurrection. And what I mean by that is we have the historical account of who Jesus is and what he did and going to the cross, being buried and three days later rising from the dead. The gospel writers share the historical narrative of what Jesus did on Easter morning, on Resurrection Sunday. The Apostle Paul came along later and under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit shares with us the doctrinal reality of the historical resurrection. What I mean is because Jesus is raised from the dead, it changes something fundamentally for those who put their faith in a raised Savior. And this is what Paul was focusing on this morning. It's entirely appropriate for us to spend time this morning mining the depths of the truths in this beautiful text. Everything we are going to look at this morning reveals the doctrine of our salvation. And Paul will wrap it up in one short verse. It's 15 words in the original Greek language. And Paul shares with us how God is able to save sinful people. This is a big deal. Because if we're honest, we wrestle with that question from time to time. What must I do to be saved? If you're a student of Scripture, if you've attended church for any length of time, or even if you have a relationship with Jesus, you know that all God requires is faith in His Son. But sometimes, even in having faith in Jesus, don't we go through seasons where we think, am I sure that God loves me? Or we think of ourselves, I'm not very lovable. I mean, we know ourselves pretty well, right? 
Unless we're really good at lying to ourselves, which I think is very hard to do. We know, like when we look deep down, when we look inside the heart, we know just how broken we are. We know just how fallen we are. We know just what a mess our lives are apart from God. Here, Paul settles it all for us. Paul reveals to us the depth of the grace of God through the gift of his son as he explains to us what Jesus accomplished so that we can receive the glorious benefit of being God's child. And if you are God's child this morning, oh wow, what an amazing gift and truth. I'm excited this morning because this is the power of the gospel before us. I also know that some of you here this morning will hear this message. And like I said, quite possibly for the first time, the light is going to go off in your, your mind and in your heart and you will be set free. And what an amazing opportunity that will be. And so what I want to do for you right now, because I don't want to get in the way of all of this with my excitement. And I also don't want to get in the way of it because like I... These aren't just my words. This is God's truth. I would like us to pray together and ask that God's spirit just open our hearts to the truth of his word. So would you pray with me? Father, thank you. Thank you for who you are and for the gracious God that you are to us. Thank you for your love and faithfulness, your mercy and your grace. And today a day that we gather and celebrate the resurrection of our Savior, we thank you for the most precious gift, that of your Son, Jesus. And we thank you, Jesus, that you came to earth to dwell with us and that you lived a perfect life. And you laid down that perfect life on the cross of Calvary. And so, Father, we pray that in these moments that we have, as we consider the sacrifice of Jesus, we know that our Savior is not dead. He is not in a tomb, but he is alive because your word says you raised him from the dead. And we are grateful, God, that we have a resurrected Savior because everything that we are in Jesus Christ is a result of the power of the resurrection. And so, Father, help us in your word today to see how you are able to do that, how you are able to accomplish the impossible. And, Father, may you speak to our hearts. And for those here this morning that are interested in Jesus but maybe don't know him personally, Father, I pray your spirit would speak to them right now, preparing them for what they are to hear. And we'll give you the praise for what you'll do, because your word transforms us from the inside out. And we thank you in Christ's name. Amen. If you're a person who writes in your Bible, and I, if you're with us from time to time, I encourage you to do so, to, to make notes, to underline things, whatever it takes to kind of get your attention around what the Word of God is saying. Um, this morning, you may want to do something in your Bible. You can do it in different ways. But our passage this morning is focusing on the love of God. And, and so the invitation is to draw a heart somewhere near the passage, kind of like I did up here on the top of my Bible. I'm not a very good drawer, so that is a heart, I promise you. Um, but it's this idea that if you need these kind of reminders when you're looking through the Scriptures of, hey, God, what are you saying here to me? And it might be something that uh, a verse or a passage that means something to you, to you. It's always good to have these kind of things set apart so that you can focus on that. Now, some of you are trying to read all my notes there, but uh, that's all right. Um, but I want to read this passage for you in whole, and then we're going to take time looking through it verse by verse as we uh, come in contact with such realities of God's grace. And so I'm going to be reading from 2 Corinthians 5. And I want to begin in verses 14 and following. For the love of Christ controls us, 
Having concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all died. And he died for all, so that they who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. Therefore, from now on, we recognize no one according to the flesh, even though we have known Christ according to the flesh. Yet now we know him in this way no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. Now, all these things are from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, namely that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. And he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were making an appeal through us, we beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Can you get why I'm excited this morning? Oh gosh, this is good stuff. It begins in verses 14 and 15. Paul shares the motivation that he has for writing this letter to the church in Corinth that he had uh, shared the gospel with and was helping the church grow. As he writes these letters to, to correct and to exhort and to command and to encourage He says in 2 Corinthians 5, as he is talking about his own ministry as an apostle of Jesus Christ, he says, this is what drives me in what I do. And I would say to you, if you know Jesus personally, and we're going to talk about this a little later on in the passage, but just to kind of give you the lead a little bit, if you know Jesus, this should motivate you as, as well. This should drive you in your ministry as a follower of Jesus. But Paul says to the church, For the love of Christ controls us. The love of Christ controls us. What this means is that Paul is no longer a person who lives for himself. Now, we need to realize that as followers of Jesus. Our lives are not our own anymore. God has bought us with a price. The price of his son who died on the cross. We are not ours anymore. We don't live for ourselves. We don't live for our desires. We don't live for all the things that we once thought were important. We live for God. And not just in the future, when we get to heaven, we live for him now. And the love of, co- the love of Christ, the love of God controls us. This is because Jesus died, as Paul says, for all. Jesus died for all so that they, which is all of us, might no longer live for themselves. And for some of you today, this might be a difficult hurdle. You may know Jesus' love, but you cannot bring yourself to die to self. We have a hard time of getting out of the way sometimes. Let me ask you a question. You don't have to answer this out loud, but just to yourself. How does life go when you live for yourself and make it all about you? For me, I get consumed with my wants and desires. And when people or circumstances get in the way of my desires, my goals, my wants... I get irritable and cranky. I would say go ask my family. But I don't think I want them to answer that question. But the scriptures tell us. That we are dead in our trespasses and sins. Ezekiel made it abundantly clear in the Old Testament. Ezekiel 18, verse 20, the person who sins will die. 
This is why the message of the cross and the resurrection of Jesus is so amazing. One died for all, as Paul says, so that they who live may no longer live for themselves, but for him who died. One died for all so that we don't live for ourselves anymore, but so that we can live for the one who died. But notice He didn't just die. That's not the end of the story. Paul adds to it and rose again on their behalf. Jesus' resurrection secures our salvation in that he reigns victorious over sin and death by defeating it and not being bound by the grave any longer. Jesus became the model of selfless living for us in that he willingly left heaven and came to earth to be the perfect son of God, to take our place by dying the death we deserve. One died for all so that we would no longer live for ourselves so that we would live for him. And it's this idea that makes Paul say the love of Christ controls us. The hope for the world is that Jesus died for all. Now, Paul isn't teaching that everyone will be saved just because Jesus died on the cross. There's no such thing in Scripture as universal salvation. But what Paul is saying is that every person in the world for all time is savable because of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. When Jesus died on the cross, he paid for the sins of every person for all time. Let's just get very specific. He paid for our sins. Everyone in this room. The key, though, and this is where everyone gets tripped up in such a great gift, is that you need to appropriate that gift in your own life through faith. Being forgiven of our sins and adopted as sons and daughters of God is received through faith. In Jesus Christ and in him alone. Paul says the love of Christ controls us. He goes on and he says, therefore, and there's a bunch of therefores in this passage, right? The love of Christ controls us. Therefore, therefore, therefore. He says here in verses 16 and 17, therefore, from now on, we recognize no one according to the flesh, even though we have known Christ according to the flesh. And yet now we know him in this way no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. So the first, therefore, is Paul coming to the understanding as a person who was once a very religious person. He was a Pharisee. He was of the nation of Israel. And the Pharisees were the people that led the people in their religion of God. They were the priests and leaders, like the pastors of the, the synagogues and the churches for the nation of Israel. And so as Paul was this person that understood the Old Testament law, he would be a person that would also be helping the people understand all the expectations of what it meant to follow God's law. But the danger was all the Pharisees had turned following God's law into a list of do's and don'ts and all the rules of the external things that we must do to be in a relationship with God. And you know what that is, right? It's religion. And where does religion lead us? Death. Because religion only focuses on the outside. What we do, how we do it, what we look like, where we go, what we say, but it doesn't deal with the heart. And so the danger for all of us, if we're following God just on the outside, 
You know, like showing up at church and serving in ministries and giving money to God and saying all these nice things and doing all these nice things. The problem with all of that is if all we ever do is focus on the outside and we never allow the gospel come into our heart, we're still dead in our trespasses and sins. Because what we do doesn't get us to the intended goal of being with God forever. It's who we know. It's who we believe in. The danger with religion is that you can do a good job of looking and acting a certain way, but God is never concerned about the outside. He is always concerned about what's going on inside of you. And maybe for some of you today, you've tried to be religious. You've tried to show how good you are. And maybe you've thought, hey, if I do enough good, it'll outweigh all the bad. But you know, because you know yourself really well, there's really not enough good that we can do. And just to settle it clearly, right? Isaiah 64, 6 says that all of our works, all of the things that we do, all of the stuff are like filthy rags. They're unclean and they garner no favor in God's eyes. The love of Christ, which is displayed in his death and resurrection, has another amazing effect on the believer, and it's found in verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. Listen, any person who places their faith in Jesus Christ, any person who comes to the Lord as a dead sinner and confesses their sins to him, trusting in what he has done on the cross for them. And let me stress this again. Anyone, right? Look at verse 17. Therefore, if anyone, 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 any person here, any person out there, anyone, if they come to Christ by faith, they are a new creature. They are a new creature. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. Not new things will come. Not new things when you get to heaven. New things now. We may look the same on the outside, and that's really where it's hard, right? You come to faith in Jesus and you think, I don't look any different. I don't think I'm that much different. But everything has changed. The way that God sees you is completely different. You are a new person in Jesus Christ. Whenever a person experiences salvation, they really become a new creation, new in quality. That's what Paul is talking about, new in quality, brand new. And you might think, well, I still like the same food and I still like the same music and I still like all these kinds of brand new inside. You're no longer dead in your sins and trespasses. You're alive in Jesus Christ. This verse may be one that some of you need to hear this morning and you need to cling to it because you have all the voices in your head that are saying that is saying to you, you're, you're not new. You're the same old person. And every time you fail and every time you fall short and every time you sin, I wonder if God loves me and I don't think I'm new because I'm not acting new. But Paul says, God says that old, th old things passed away. They passed away. They're dead. When you place your faith in Jesus Christ, you have died to self. 
and the old sin nature that it was inside of you, its power and potency in your life is eradicated because God puts his spirit inside of you. You're still going to fall short because the flesh still has that old nature. But you have a new nature in your spirit. And you are a new creation in God's eyes. And he gives you everything that you need to live for him. God doesn't see your failures, your bad choices, or your sin. You're a new creation. When God looks at you, he only sees a new creation. The new creation that came because of Jesus' death and resurrection. But the key to the joy of verse 17 is found in two words near the beginning of the verse. The person that is to receive all of these good benefits, being a new creation, needs to be in Christ. In Christ. Not in church. But in Christ. Now, hey, I'm a pastor of a church. And I, gosh, I'd love if you're here next week and the week after that and the week after that. Because when we celebrate God's goodness together as the family of God and we dig into God's word, we take these truths together as we sing God's praises. And God transforms the covenant community, the people of God, the family that he has redeemed. And he wants us to express it together. And so I'm all about having people come to this place that we call the church. But it's not just coming in the church. It's not just being in spiritual things. It's being in Christ that makes you a new creation. Because you could be here and not be in Christ. You need to be in Christ to be a new creation. And just so that you can kind of grasp just a, a little bit the tip of the iceberg of some of the new things that happen to us when we become a Christian, I, I want to share a, a list of them with you. I'm not going to go into any detail at all, but these are just kind of as a, a reminder to you. Uh, it comes from a greater list that a theologian and Bible scholar named Lewis Ferry Schaefer put together. Now, he listed 33 of them. I'm just going to name a few of them. First of all, when we are in Christ, we are redeemed, reconciled, forgiven of all sin, regarded by God as a new man. The Holy Spirit lives inside of us. We are free from the law. We are a child of God. We are adopted. We are acceptable to God. We are justified. We are delivered from darkness. We are brought into an everlasting kingdom. We are given the status of being a holy priest. We are made a heavenly citizen. We are of the family and household of God. We have access to God. We are particularly cared for by God. We are given an eternal inheritance. We are complete in him. We possess every spiritual blessing and he is promised to be glorified in our lives. We are new in Jesus Christ. And oh, I pray that you know the depth of the newness of the life that God has given you in his son. And based on that, Paul builds on it in verses 18 through 21. And he says, now all these things are from God. And let's just stop right there. All these things are from God. What are all these things? His love, his son, the new creation, and the new life we have in him. They're all from God. All these things. Now that seems obvious, right? But we're hard-headed. We are fickle in our hearts. We wander. We stray. And so the Word of God continues to again and again wash over us and remind us subtly and not so subtly all that we are in Jesus Christ is all because of God. All these things are from God. Nothing we have from God is a result of us. There's nothing lovely in us. There is nothing good in us. All that we are is because God loved us first. 
How did Paul do it? Or not Paul. How did, uh, what does Paul highlight in what God has done? These things are from God. And namely, he reconciled us to himself through Christ. Now, reconciliation is a big deal. And for these next few verses, Paul makes a big deal of reconciliation. The word reconciliation in theological terms is very simply understood that we have peace with God. That's what the word means. Listen, since the garden, which was like the first event in human history, since Adam and Eve, sin has created a barrier between man and God, and man has not been at peace with God. In fact, man and God are hostile towards each other. Listen to Isaiah 59 verse 2. But your iniquities, which is another word for sin, your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear you. Our sins separate us from God. Paul says in Colossians 1.21, And although you were formerly alienated and hostile in mind, engaged in evil deeds. Although we were once that, what was that? Alienated and hostile in mind. And you might think, I wasn't angry with God. I didn't even really think about being angry with God before I knew him. Well, the word of God says, because of your sin, your position before a holy God was not of one of ambivalence. Like, ah, eh, no big deal. Your position before God as a sinner was that you were his enemy. You were hostile. You were against him. And you might think, well, I wasn't making it all about this big parade of saying, I'm against you, God. And I, you know, I'm going to live my life going against everything that you said. No, we don't do that outwardly, but really functionally and practically that's how we live as dead people we go against what god has said and we live for ourselves and living for ourselves separates us from his holy presence and all the things that we do that separate us from god those things that are called sin must be paid for and the only way that a sinful person can pay for their sins is by death and being separated from god forever Because there's not enough good we can do. There's not enough in us to take care of everything that we do that goes against a holy God. Now, all these things are from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ. Bible teacher J. Vernon McGee said this, all of the religions of the world say, do, do, do. And the gospel says, done. Look around, right? And I'm not just, everyone is a religious person in the world, whether they go to a religious place for worship or not. Everyone lives in such a way that they have a category in their life of how they're living their life in the the midst of a big picture. Like, how am I living my life for what reason and what purpose and what benefit is for me? But if even you look at the religions of the world, all of the other religions of the world, all of them are built around this construct that it's what you do that gives you approval. And the gospel says it's not what you do that gives you approval. It's what has been done for you that gives you your approval. And we got to hold on to that. We have to rest in that. God the Father has reconciled us to himself. God has reconciled us. He moved first. And he did it through Christ. Now we're going to finish up in a few minutes looking at how he's able to do that in verse 21. But as a result of this gift of God reconciling us through Christ, God also not only gives us the the reconciliation we need, but he also gives us the ministry of reconciliation. What do I mean by that? I mean this. If you know Jesus Christ personally this morning, God has given you the grand opportunity of taking what you know 
to others who don't know. And you might say, I thought that was the pastor's job. That's one of my jobs as a follower of Jesus. But it's our job as ministers of reconciliation. God has committed to us the word of reconciliation. God has brought every person in the world into a savable relationship with him. And all we need to do is announce it. And we go through life afraid of being rejected. And we go through life thinking, oh, they'll think differently about me. Boo-hoo. Because it's not about us. And for us that know such grace, who cares what people think about us? We want them to know what we have. And Paul builds on that. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ as though God were making an appeal through us. We beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Like, I don't know if you can quite feel the tension in Paul's words as he's writing this letter to the church in Corinth. But he's writing to people that maybe are even in the church in Corinth that really don't know who Jesus is. They've been acquainted with Jesus. And Paul knows that. And he has such a burden in his heart that those people would be brought into a peaceful relationship through Jesus Christ with their creator. And and Paul's writing this letter about this ministry of reconciliation. And he like he's on his knees and he's like I beg you please there's nothing else that you need to know except Christ and him crucified there's nothing and we go through life and we attach so much value into so much stuff that doesn't matter and Paul was saying I beg you if you don't listen to anything else I say be reconciled to God That's good news. To know this morning that God has done for you what you could not do yourself and has given you every spiritual blessing in Christ so that you, by faith in Him, could be brought into a forgiven relationship with God forever, all at the result of someone else's death and resurrection. The good news of the gospel that Jesus has reconciled us to God is not to be kept to ourselves. It's not just good news for the church. It's good news for the world. And so Paul implores them, exhorts them to be at peace through God, through his son. And then he finishes up in one of the most beautiful descriptions of the gospel in all of scripture. This is the summary truth of all that Paul has been saying about how reconciliation is possible. You might be thinking at this point, how is sinful man able to be brought in a peaceful relationship with a holy God? Well, I'm glad you asked that question because Paul's going to answer it right here in verse 21. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf. So that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Fifteen words in the original Greek language. That make our salvation possible. 
Listen, if you're a follower of Jesus and you're going through a struggle in life and you're starting to doubt your salvation and you're starting to wonder and worry, does God love me? Am I forgiven? Will I be his forever? Go back to 2 Corinthians 5.21 because everything in what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5.21 is not based on what you do or continue to do or start to do. Everything that you have in Christ is based on what he has done for you. It's his. He, God, he's the he, made him, Jesus, he's the him. So God made Jesus who knew no sin. And we know that, at least we know it in in truth in the scriptures, right? We know that Jesus did not have an earthly dad. That's the whole Christmas story, right? Joseph is like, hey, Mary, how are you with child? Because we're not married yet and we haven't done anything to make children. So he wants to send her away. And the angel comes to Joseph and says, no, stay with her. It's it's going to be all right. Mary is pregnant. And the Holy Spirit comes upon her. And she has a child and they name him Jesus. And the scriptures tell us very clearly that the sin nature, the, the sin that we commit is caused of what sin does as it is passed down through the Father, the seed of the Father. So if you're a dad this morning and you ever look at your kids and think, why are you so messed up? It's your fault. (laughs) Because that sin nature is passed through you. But Jesus didn't have an earthly father and he has no sin nature and he lived a perfect life. He did nothing wrong. He was perfect in every way. So if Jesus was perfect and sinless and we will agree that he is, then how was he to be sin on our behalf? That's what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf. Well, what does that mean? I think very quickly it means two things. The first thing is God treated Jesus as if he were a sinner. That's Good Friday. That's the message of the cross. And we know the horrors of the cross, right? We know that Jesus was rejected by his followers, handed over and betrayed by one of his disciples, handed off from one clown court to another clown court between the Pharisees and the Roman leaders back and forth, back and forth. Pilate didn't know what to do with him. He thought, hey, it's time to announce one of the criminals be set free. He couldn't find anything wrong. He says, listen, I'll get the blood of Jesus off of my hands by saying to the crowd, hey, choose Jesus. Okay, I'll I'll let you choose Barabbas, who was a murderous insurrectionist. And the crowds in Jerusalem that day on Good Friday shouted to crucify Jesus and to set free a murdering thief. And Jesus was flogged and scourged and beaten and a crown of thorns was pressed on his head. They mocked him and spit on him and pulled his beard out. They scourged him with a Roman whip and ripped the flesh off his back. And then they made him carry his cross. And as he made his way through Jerusalem, he was so overwhelmed by the physical stress that he was under, he couldn't carry his cross. And so someone had to carry his cross to Golgotha. And when he made it to the top of the mountain where he was to be executed with criminals, they laid him on that cross and drove nails into his hands and feet. And they raised him up with a placard of the charges that he said he's the king of the Jews. And we know he's the king of kings. And he died a criminal's death. The perfect son of God. Why? For us. For our sins. The perfect son of God came and took our place for what we have done. Jesus suffered a cruel death that becomes the means of our salvation. And in that death, the full wrath 
of a holy God was poured out on his son. In fact, we get an echo of that in Matthew 27, verse 26, when Jesus, who is dying on the cross, says, while dying on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus felt completely alone because the father saw the son and saw the sin of every person and he had to turn his face away. In this moment, God the Father left His Son alone to suffer as He could not look at Him as He carried our sins. He who knew no sin was to be sin on our behalf. The second thing is that Jesus became the sin offering that was required. What do I mean by that? Well, all of this happened over the Passover in Israel, and the Passover was that event in Israel where they, once a year, everyone would gather together in Israel and offer sacrifices, and the blood would be sprinkled in the holy place, and the sins of the people would be atoned for, forgiven for a year, because the blood of animals was never meant to do what the blood of a human could provide. And that human was Jesus. Once and for all. His blood for our sins. Once and for all. Forgives us. His perfect sacrifice paid for all the sins of all time. That's why Jesus every Good Friday doesn't need to get back on the cross. And that's why if you've placed your faith in Jesus as Lord and Savior and have trusted in Him and what He has done on the cross for your sins, you don't need to keep asking Him to forgive you again and again so that you can be in a relationship with God. Once and for all, He has done it. Jesus Christ was the target of God's punishment of sinners. God having imputed, and that word impute means to have assigned to Him the sin of all humankind. God assigned all the sins of humankind on his son. The only one who never deserved anything of punishment and suffering suffered and was punished. For what reason? The the last half of verse 21. So that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So that we all who are in the faith become what the righteousness of God. We are made right and perfect in the presence of a holy God because we have become not in the future. We have become not at another time. We have become not when we get our lives figured out, but we have become by faith in Jesus Christ, the righteousness of God in him. Now, what does that mean? We have right standing before a holy God. That's why you don't have to go to a temple and ask a priest to do anything for you. That's why the author of Hebrews says we as the believers who are in Jesus Christ can go into the holy place of where God the Father is and have access with him and talk with him and be in a relationship with him and have him speak to us. And we don't have to be afraid that a lightning bolt from heaven is going to shoot down and blot us off the face of the earth. We have the righteousness of who? His son. This is the crazy thing about the gospel, right? This is the great exchange of the gospel. This is the heart of the good news of Jesus. That Jesus received the punishment for our sin and we receive his perfect righteousness. He receives the punishment that is due. We receive his righteousness. Jesus bore our sins so that we could bear his righteousness. Let me ask you, is that good news or what? Oh man, that's good news. That's why I'm excited this morning. Can you also see how this message has the ability to change someone's life right now today? Because there might be someone here this morning. You've been trying to figure it out all all on your own. And that's a tiring, exhausting premise to try to figure out how you can be at peace with God apart from receiving his son. It doesn't work. It can't work because there's not enough good that we can do. 
But the goodness of the gospel is that Jesus does for you what you could never do. And all you need to do is believe in him. And when you believe in him, God is able to take all of your sin and put it on his son. And then God takes all of the righteousness of his son and he puts it on you. And then you can stand before a holy God as his child forever. But I beg you today. I beg you today. You can receive right standing in the presence of a holy God and have peace with him. Because he has given his son to you. His son died on the cross to pay your penalty, carrying the full weight of your sin. And his death satisfied the demands of God as being an acceptable sacrifice because his son is totally sinless and perfect. That is the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The risen Savior that we celebrate today is the one that gives you new life in him when you love him. So we're going to pray right now. And I mean this. This is part of my begging you on behalf of God. That if you don't know who Jesus Christ is this morning personally, in the way that Paul described it in 2 Corinthians 5, what's holding you back? Why don't you want to be set free? And if you do want to be set free, know that you're set free, not based on what you're doing, There's not enough that we could do. But this passage and the New Testament in general is God's love letter to you saying, I beg you to believe in what my son has done. And so he invites you to trust in Jesus. And you can handle that right now, right here, once and for all, forever. That if you believe in Jesus Christ right now and what he has done on the cross for your sins, the word of God says that you are saved. You are forgiven. You are his child. You are his forever as a new creation. But only you and God can figure that out. I can't do it for you. The person sitting next to you can't do it for you. Only you and God can figure it out. And so as I pray, we're just going to give you some time quietly to go before God. And he hears every prayer for forgiveness and salvation. And he'll meet you where you are and change you for his glory. So let's pray.